Hello and welcome to season two, episode five of Dualistic Unity. I'm playing the part of Andrew today. I'm still playing the part of Ray. Ray, who has been slightly exasperated by the amount of snake oil on TikTok and online in regards to spirituality. And, you know, it's one thing to mistakenly pass on uh, a bit of snake oil during your development. It's one thing to be learning about something that's helping you get past your, your own limitations and your own ego. And by virtue of going through that process, maybe you erroneously pass on some stuff to other people and they glom onto it. And it makes them go down a, a path that is more egotistical rather than less. That's not necessarily your fault if you're just processing stuff, as a lot of people do. I was talking to somebody earlier this week who was a fan of Dolores Cannon, Once Upon a Time. And I was mentioning that Cannon's interpretations, Cannon's entire business model was very much deliberately misleading and deliberately egotistical. And you could argue, well, you know, she was a well-intentioned person. And I would say that that's almost irrelevant to the fact that there was still a solid business model that was informing how she rolled out her books, how she rolled out her insights, how she rolled out her, her speeches and her public and her public events. And, and so that's what kept her business going over time. And I think it's the reason that as much as it was, you know, all these answers are within you, here's more narrative. Here's more things I'm discovering from the other side. Here's more reasons for you to keep coming back. And a lot of people would say, well, that, that helped me once upon a time. And this guy I was talking to did. And then admitted, I don't refer to Canon anymore. I don't look at her stuff. You know, I, I went through that and that does, isn't true for me anymore. I recognized that. And then followed it up with, but I think it's necessary for people to go through that in the same way I did to find those insights. And I will disagree with that. I will say that just because I got conned and found a silver lining doesn't mean that you being conned is a necessity in order for you to grow. In fact, if I've been conned and I figured out a silver lining, I learned something from that, then it's within my ability to communicate how I was conned so that way you don't have to. So maybe that you can learn the lesson that took me longer to learn just because I was, I was tripping over my own trauma as it were. And so I just wanted to talk about this a bit because as much as we talk about religion and spirituality and, and whatnot, there is an entirely different thing happening where there are just genuinely, how do I put this? There are genuinely disingenuous people in, in that, they know there's something deeper. They also know that you wouldn't pay for it. And this is something I said about channelers once upon a time is that a lot of channelers, if you talk to them behind the scenes, they will say, yeah, I know this is, this is me and my awareness and that I'm just talking to expressions of myself in order to facilitate my growth. And they'll say that, but they would never say that to their audience because there's no profit in it. And that's what I keep running across. And so this week I was kind of delving in and out of snake oil in terms of looking at Akashic records and soul contracts. And I, I haven't looked at that stuff in a long time. So I kind of wanted to refresh exactly how deep it goes. And yeah, there's just a lot of stuff to, to talk about that gets valued in the same way as the New Testament does and is just as damaging. So I was hoping we could talk about that a bit today and maybe your experiences with the New Age spirituality crowd. Yeah, certainly happy to jump into that because that's something too for me that's a lot more recent than it is for you just like being in it and actually like sort of invested in it to a degree like as recently as right before I kind of woke up and even afterwards there were still remnants of that because it is so convincing and, and people talk about it with such conviction like the idea of Dolores Cannon and I kind of got into her stuff uh last year like april may june july and it's like oh yeah this makes a lot of sense but it's interesting how people are so sure of it 
when I don't see exactly how you can be so sure of it besides that you just, it, it makes you feel better and, and it helps you kind of give you answers to things that might not really be as easily answerable as you would like to think, similar to religion and other types of spirituality. But with the person you ran across who, who said how he thinks it's necessary for people to go through it, I, I was thinking about that a little bit and, and my own experience with Dolores Cannon. It's like, that was not on this sort of path for me to understand and go beyond sort of that egoic understanding of things as me being separate. Like that was almost like, if I'm thinking of a path, it was like a little side quest sort of thing, but it's not part of that path. And it definitely doesn't have to be. So just because someone else goes on a side quest for a bit or another side quest or another little side thing, whatever words you want to use to describe it, does not mean it's it's necessary. And just because there is a speck of truth in a side quest doesn't mean that it's a requirement for your path and journey. And I think sometimes people get caught up in thinking that it is because they, they want to feel better about themselves for getting conned into something like that and say like, oh, well, you know, I went through it and I'm you know, a very smart intellectual person. So if I had to go through it and I did learn a couple lessons, like everyone else has to go through it too. And it's just like, no, no, they don't. They, they certainly don't. And why would you, knowing that you're everyone, want to put yourself through some bullshit when you can just cut the bullshit of it and, and get to that little bit of lesson, maybe the 5% of it that was rooted in some truth and allow them to keep moving forward more efficiently along this path, as opposed to thinking they have to do all this other shit and go through all that other BS to, to get to the point that you're at. Yeah. That's, it's exactly why when I was first started homeschooling my daughter, um, it was difficult for me because I had been schooled according to fearing failure. I was being drawn by the carrot of success and fearing the stick of failure. And that's how I was educated. And so when she was being homeschooled for the first few years, I really stumbled over that, trying to figure out what to do and how to help her pass that. And of course, you look at other parents, you look at other people who have been homeschooled, or actually you look at people who had thought about homeschooling and didn't do it. And often the reasoning is, well, you know, they got to learn about the system somehow. They got to learn about social sociability somehow. It's like, but that's not a normal form of, of socializing. School is not a normal form of socializing by any means. Um, so there's almost this mentality of, well, I went through it, so they have to go through it to learn the things that I did. It's like, right but you're constantly worried about how people look at you. You're constantly worried about failure. You're always thinking about the future. You're always, so the schooling system you're recommending for your kid failed you. And yet you're saying that they should go through it to be what, just as, as confused as you are now. It doesn't make any sense. And so for me, it was, I need to figure out a new way to learn. I need to, to figure out a new way to think if I'm going to, to work with my daughter as she you know, goes down her own path without getting lost down that side quest, as you were saying, right? And, and so that's it. It's just for me to help her, I had to first help myself, right? And then in helping myself, it's not like I was like, okay, now you got to do it you know, the way I did. Here's a test. Once you're you know, so scared, you don't want to read anymore. Now we can work. Right. Instead, it was okay. Let's let's bypass all of this stuff. And and luckily, the lessons I've had in my life about that anxiety and that fear and that depression and that self judgment 
made it so important for me to adapt that skill, to learn that skill so I could pass it on to her. And that's what those experiences should do if you're really learning from them. And once you come out of that, that being conned phase, you should feel inspired to help other people avoid it, right? This is the thing about deconstructing religion and de deconstructing Christianity. It's the reason I'm looking forward to creating our video Beyond Transcendence. Uh, anybody who's interested can, of course, find more information about that on our Patreon page. But it's because this conversation, if it's taken far enough, if you really are deconstructing religion and deconstructing spirituality and getting out of your egotistical way and getting out of your limitations and your fear and everything else, this is the conversation you want to have because freedom feels good. But that guy who was de defending Dolores Cannon, what I thought was very interesting, he, it was that he said, I don't listen to Cannon anymore. I don't participate in that belief system. And then his very next video was him talking to spirit guides. So the fact is, is that while he may not listen to Cannon specifically, he has a vested interest in maintaining his illusion that Cannon was speaking any degree of truth. Otherwise, he would not be able to believe in his own truth or his own perspective that he's created for himself. And so there was that vested interest in there. And, that, and that's it, is that he hadn't actually escaped. He hasn't actually found that freedom from the snake oil. He's just adapted it. So it's not quite so, no, not, not quite so destructive to him, right? But it's still destructive. It's still causing boundaries. It's still causing him to defend something that is contributing to his suffering. Yeah, I find it interesting with all of this that it seems like the way our society is run and for someone like that and for anyone who thinks about homeschooling their kids and decides not to or thinks about le leaving the church and decides not to. It's like it's almost like everyone thinks that there isn't another way or they don't see another way of living in that way that they, they see all of these societal structures and they're like, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't really get why I'm still doing this, but. I, I don't see really another great way to do it. Like, I don't see a way to live beyond belief. Like so many people are like, oh, well, not believing in something is a belief. And because they're so closely tied to, to this feeling that you need to believe in something, like it's just a human requirement almost, like you must believe in something. And so I think it, it's fascinating to see how people just don't see another route. And so it's kind of, a bummer in that way that, that people don't see that. But that's one of the reasons I'm so happy that we have these conversations is like, for all of those people, this is the other way. This is what we talk about every single week, another way to live beyond belief, beyond the limitations of our current structures in order to be able to progress and grow as a race, society, universe, all of it, because without that person who sees the issues with the things going on and just settles on continuing to go that way, settles on the mentality that, oh, well, I went through it. So my kids are going to go through it. And then their kids are going to grow up and, and do the same sort of thing. There needs to be people who are like, yeah, I, I learned all of these things. And now I'm going to utilize all of those learnings to work on a better way to live and promote this mentality and, and way of, of living. So it's part of the reason I'm so excited about all the stuff we work on is because this is sort of the conversation happening that I think a lot of people are longing for in a way and just hoping to come across, even if they don't necessarily know it because they see the issues, but they just don't really know what to do about it. And they get afraid because everyone's just so 
tied into this mentality that they don't even see another way to live. Like with belief, they don't see that you can even live without belief systems and structures because they're so deeply rooted in our society and mentality. Yeah, very much. I mean, that, that entire, um, safety and numbers mentality is, is really at the root of a lot of our problems. I mean, even if you were to want to live off grid, if you wanted to get out of the financial system, if you wanted to get away from central banks and fiat currency and all of that other stuff, the argument used to be, where are you going to go? Right. You need the banks. You need the money. You need the printed dollars. You need the system that goes with it. Otherwise, you can't buy anything. You can't survive. You can't do anything. And so people were very much stuck. Anybody who wanted to leave that system had to go to, to fairly you know, um, extreme lengths to do that. And now you have cryptocurrency. Right. You have the rise of alternatives. And those alternatives are making people go, oh, my God, there's an alternative. And, and you can see how many people who throughout all of those years that there was no alternative, had there been one, they would have started looking, right? And so that's very much what we're doing here is that we're having a conversation about something that goes beyond spirituality. It goes beyond religion, beyond belief. And we're having this conversation, not to get people to join us because God knows I'm too lazy to beat anybody, but to see that there's an option. That's really all this is about is the fact that there are other ways to live. There's another way to see this. There's another way to experience things. And Alan Watts was saying the same thing. Krishnamurti was saying the same thing. Buddha, Jesus, all these people were saying the same thing, that there is another option. That's all that they were saying. And the mentality at the time was so contradictory to that option that there was no, there was no alternative but to kill those people or to mystify them, to create them into an image of somebody that we couldn't possibly measure up to. So that way we just give up right? Which is why Jesus and the virgin births, right? And the whole idea of Buddha is it being enlightened. And, and I guarantee if you were to go back in time and sit with these people and have a beer, you would just have a really good conversation. That's, that's the point is that they were just human beings, but by mystifying them, by creating them into these, these avatar figures, we make it so there's such a gap between us and them that we don't even, we don't even assume that it can be crossed, which is so funny because then you have the expression, what would Jesus do? Right? We don't actually think about it. We're just like, let me refer to the book that misinterprets everything he said. And that's going to help me figure out what he would do instead of looking within myself, which is what he said to do. Right? And to allow my father to act through me, as it were. Right? And so that's, that's the whole thing is that the idea that we can be free is terrifying to somebody who only knows prison. That's it, because there's comfort in prison. And this is something that prisoners actively face as they, when they get released. Some of them will go out and commit crimes specifically to go back to prison because they know that environment. And so our entire culture has been built around this idea of ourself, around identity and, com and comparison and compartmentalization and categories and everything else. We're just divided in every way, shape and form based on how we see ourselves. And yet we will still say things like, oh, don't forget to learn from your mistakes. Well, culturally and collectively, we fail to do so. Yeah, that statement, it, there's so many statements like that that I feel like just become this robotic repetition that you just hear over and over so often that it becomes numb and we don't even really think about the gravity of what it's actually saying in that way. And it's funny when you, when you mentioned like the, the 
prisoners that want to go back to their prisons. I've had a few conversations with people about religion stuff um, that they were pretty open and honest and frank. And, and it, it seemed like they were very understanding of my perspective and almost like, yeah, I, I get it for sure. But then they, and, and even heard about like, oh yeah, that, that person was like, not going to church for a while or whatever. And then, and then they like ran back and they just like kind of crawled back to that safety of it because they want to feel more secure. And, and it's like, if you go a little bit away from that mentality, it, it starts to get uncomfortable enough that if you're not willing to keep pushing through that discomfort, it's way more convenient to just go running back to those belief systems that soothe your fear, but also cause it at the same time without you really realizing it necessarily. So it, it's interesting to see that because at the same time, you know, I've sort of been going through that progression of discomfort and it is uncomfortable. And it's not to say I would ever go as far as to like running, go running back to religion or something like that, but there are still lesser things that I have felt like I wanted to cling to, you know, those sort of security measures that are rooted in identification. And, but the more I see them sort of feel that desire, egoic desire to like cling back to them and not do it, the clearer I get as to why it is harmful to go back to that. And it sort of just builds on itself. And I was thinking about that today, because like, I felt really good overall the last few days and just like a lot of energy, just like a lot of just overall good feelings. And I was thinking about just like everything I've been going through because there has been a lot of turbulence for sure the last few months and just seeing it from a clear perspective that it's like all of those things, when I get sort of through one of those ruts, it's like reinforces that feeling of confidence in myself. And today I was actually thinking about something else about how I used to go through like crazy hypothetical scenarios of like worst case scenario type things in my process of just worrying. This was a while ago, but even still fairly recently. And I was thinking about that today, like a worst case scenario I would think about. And it was like, you know, a situation where I was doing this big interview or getting you know, interviewed on TV on like a talk show or something and just like completely blanking, losing my train of thought. And today I was thinking about that in a way that I had before more recently, but it was, it was almost like thinking of how funny that would be if that happened, like how funny and just like to see all the ripples it would make and just see, and almost like, and I've seen Jim Carrey do this in ways just like make a complete kind of joke of the situation and just like stop talking and stare at the audience for like 30 seconds just to see what happens. And it's like, I was thinking of those things from that sort of perspective and just how without me, there's nothing to fear. Like nothing can go wrong in any, no matter how big the situation is without me, there's nothing to fear and no way for it to go wrong, no matter what happens. So I was thinking like, would something still go wrong in that way without me? Or was it the me that I was afraid of something going wrong, causing the thing to go wrong in that way? So now it's like, because 
I know there's nothing that can go wrong. Even the superficial thing that might go wrong probably won't even happen because there's just no me involved in the conversation and situation where I'm like thinking about it through the lens of me and kind of that archer situation where you're focused on the task and the target at the same time. Like I'd just be focused on the task. So there's nothing, it's like the likelihood of anything quote unquote bad happening, like wouldn't even happen or the likelihood goes down so much. Yeah. And that's, that is the paradox about all of this, right? Is that don't try to improve yourself. Bam, you've improved. Right. And, and that's so tricky to get our mind around because we want to improve ourselves. But in order for us to get to that state where we can roll with whatever happens, we have to get out of our way so that way we can see what we're capable of. But as long as we're just trying to be what we think we are, we can't. Right. And so we get locked up and it causes all kinds of distortion. And then so it kind of it begs the question, like you said, you know, it's like, was that wrong thing we're gonna was that going to happen strictly because i was in this state of mind right and and if if me getting out of that state of mind changes that at all does it stop the wrong thing from happening or does it just stop my response to the wrong thing from being what it was and so it becomes this weird kind of free will predeterminism thing as always right but it's interesting what you were saying is that and power versus force goes into this a little bit but like any addiction when you're trying to escape an addiction and you have a, a group of people who feed that addiction, you start to get away and all of a sudden you feel very alone and isolated, right? And you're going through withdrawals, which is very unpleasant, right? And if you don't manage to meet people who've been through that, or if you don't have a group of people who are like, yeah, this is all normal, just keep going, you're gonna get out the other end, you can start to feel afraid and you can start to wanna go back to that old addiction, which is very much the process that you were talking about. It's like, you know, the farther you go, the more free you feel. But to do that, you have to keep snipping the, those cords that were pulling you back, right? And that, that's the work. But in Power Versus Force, where they talk about um, consciousness as, as just basically this giant field of possibilities, um, they, they specifically talk about attractors within that field. And the attractors are very much like you would look at uh, celestial objects having gravity, right? So if you're in space and you're between two, two objects with gravity, depending on where you are and how strong those objects are, you're going to drift towards one or towards the other, right? And so the ego, the glamour, the enticing of power, all of that is very much one attractor field within our consciousness. And the other is freedom, right? It is just being, existence, enthusiasm, all of the things that we talk about. But so long as we're enticed by the promise of control or the promise of, of accolades and the promise of increased value. As long as we're being seduced by that, that glamour, that's the gravity that we're being pulled away or, or being pulled towards. And then when we start to pull away from that, then we can start to feel the other side of the spectrum, but there is that, that journey. And that's what power versus force really goes into in terms of the scales of consciousness. As you leave the ego and the egotistical attractor field, you start to go through apathy and desire and fear and anger and pride until finally you get to courage, which is just the, I don't need any of that addiction to continue on. I don't need to keep being pulled back into that gravity. I recognize what its effect is. I'd rather just drift in space and see what's possible. And that's oddly enough, when we start getting almost, um, well, we just start getting pulled towards that other attractor field. Naturally, it becomes a self-perpetuating process because the glamour of the other field 
no longer entices us. It no longer appears to be what it used to appear to be. And the same is true for religion. The same is true for spirituality. The same is true for, for uh, drugs and chemicals, things like that. It's like, it's not until we gain the awareness that this is having a destructive impact on us that we're able to find the clarity to step away from it. And then it's just stepping more and more into that clarity, which just makes it easier. Yeah, I feel like with that, there's a sort of inflection point where things start to get clearer and, and you, you know, you're working through it. You're kind of going from that ego to freedom or self, very like strong identification with self to less identification with self. And there's a point where you start to see as you're, as you're moving along, like you're driving some benefits, but you're also getting pulled back at the same time. And then you start to more clearly see that although it's pulling you back for all these egoic, like building up of the ego sort of desire type things, you're more clearly able to see that all of those things you're afraid of. And the only things you're ever afraid of are all rooted in that sort of identity. And I, I don't think that happens immediately where you're able to see it super clearly. And that's why so many people get along this path and kind of turn back because they're like, you know, why I, I am so much more comfortable here. So it does take some, I don't want to say grit or something like that, where you really, but yeah, a little bit like, like that sort of grit in a way of, of getting through and working through and just staying, staying the course, not that there's like a specific course, but sort of just reinforcing that mentality of, of understanding where that fear is coming from. And then all of a sudden, which is, I think something I've seen a lot more clearly recently is just all of that fear that I ever have is rooted in that other way, that, that side of fear and ego and self, as much as it's, it feels good to build it up and for people to be like, oh, and that Andrew guy, he's so cool and awesome and smart and, and funny and and all that stuff. It's like, that's the same shit that's gonna drive that fear and worry. So as much as, as it feels good in a way, it's simultaneously bringing you down. And, and so once you get to that point, you sort of see and and are redefining yourself, not in the ego sense of self, but seeing yourself as just this massive happening of things. And, and at first it, it's hard, a little bit difficult to grasp, but, but seeing that there's so much more freedom in that, because without that sense of self, you don't have that fear, but you're still able to here and now have that sort of influence an impact on things, but, but there's no, as long as it's coming from a mentality of clarity and unity in that way, there's no downside because the only downside you ever saw wasn't for the others that you were interacting with. It was all for the self. That was the only downside. So even though say, for example, you're giving a speech that you're helping a bunch of people like there's no downside to all the things that you're planning on saying. The only downside you see is if something goes wrong for you, for that sense of self. So without that, it's only the sort of free flow 
of impact on things as you go and seeing what's possible every step of the way, as opposed to being sort of veiled and held back by like this identity where it's like, oh, well, I hope this doesn't happen because, you know, it's not bad for anyone else or the world, but it's, it's bad for me. And I don't want anything bad to happen to me or for me to get embarrassed or torn down. And once you see that more clearly that, that this is all just one big happening and you're sort of a piece of it, but all of it simultaneously, it's like, there isn't that self fear. Cause what, what are you going to lose? What everything's going to go back to being unity and, and one, like, I don't need, I can't even, it's hard for me to think about what, what could possibly go wrong. Right. Because wrong stops being a thing, right. It's just whatever it is that's happening. And then whatever it is I'm going to do to, to adapt to that thing. And, you know, that that's where we tend to have problems with that transition. Right. It's just that we're so used to thinking in terms of, false certainty, right? We just want to know what's going to happen. And so when we're going through this phase of transition, as it were, we have so many opportunities to kind of see where our decisions and our perspectives were based on need, right? Or perceived need. So you get into a conversation with somebody, you start worrying about what they're thinking about you. There's your opportunity to pull a little farther away from that gravity well, right? That, that is the ego, because you can feel it popping up. You can recognize, you can respond to that fear by trying to, you know, manipulate them by trying to change what you're saying, by trying to elicit a certain response. But then all the extra fear goes with that. All that anxiety comes up because now you're trying to establish more control. So right in that moment, when you're feeling that, you have the chance to go, right, that strategy is rooted in self-destruction. So what else is possible? What else can I do here? What happens if I don't boost myself up? What happens if I compliment them, right? What happens if I just take myself out of this entirely? And the conversation suddenly changes, right? And all of a sudden there's new opportunities and new, new insights that are available because you've changed your, your part within the, the piece of the puzzle or your part within the whole, the whole uh, situation. And so it really always comes down to that. Am I continuing to play the game that I know is going to turn out in a certain way? Because we know it's going to turn out in a certain way. We understand the ego always ends up in the same tightly confined box, despite how controlling it might feel or how much influence it, it might feel that it has. It's always afraid. It's always defining. It's always defending. It has no choice. And, and so if you know that, and if you really know that, then you just don't do it. It's like Krishnamurti used to say, if you want to stop touching the flame, recognize that it burns you. Right? And it's not memorize the, the attributes of the flame. Right? Once you've burned yourself, you recognize that hurts. I'm not going to touch it anymore, right? But we often burn ourselves on our ego and we don't recognize where the burn is coming from. We think that it's coming from the people we perceive as a result of our ego rather than the ego itself. And so this is what this conversation is so good for is that we're talking about burns. We're literally like, this is a conversation about how to treat egotistical burns to your soul, basically, right? And, and that's what we're talking about. Is like, you've been burning yourself. This is why. If you weren't aware of it before, this should help. And there's nothing else we can do in that process. There's nothing we can do to kind of spur people along or anything else. Because the more you try, the less they're going to be doing it for their own reasons. And that was another thing I wanted to mention quickly is that it's so often, it so often happens that we will try to change ourselves because we look at the effect it will have in our life. I know I should beat myself up less. I know I should compare myself less. I know I should do this, or I know I should change in this way. 
And as soon as we're doing that, it's always because of this idea of what it's going to do for our life and for us and for our relationships and everything else. And so it never sticks. It never sticks because it's always for some reason outside of the here and now, outside of you. And that has to be the reason. You actually have to be selfish to some degree to at least be honest enough to recognize that you are the center of your universe. And unless you're dealing with your relationship with what you're experiencing here and now, nothing changes. It can't be for your kids. It can't be for your husband or for your relationship. It can't be for your career, right? All of those things are superficial. It has to be for your experience that you're having right now. And if it's not for that, it's not enough. It won't stick. And this is something I've seen for years. It can't be about should. It has to be because you genuinely want to here and now. Yeah, it's it's interesting how much, how many people will defend that sort of mentality also that, that oh, I, I do genuinely care about other people. And like, it's not to say that there's anything wrong with that, but but you have to understand in a way that like, without having that sort of full cup yourself, that like that in itself is enough to have the impact that you want, because besides for that, it's rooted in this egoic want to help other people. And people hate hearing this idea that, you know, wanting to help other people is in a way sort of selfish because you feel bad and you want to make yourself feel better. It's like, well, there's nothing wrong with that. It's like, yeah, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Just like chill out for a second. But you do acknowledge that though, right? That it is something that you don't feel good about and you want to make yourself feel better about it. And sure, it, it's it's not like it's a, it's it's still a constructive mentality, but it is rooted in that sort of selfishness to make yourself feel better, but it is constructive versus destructive for sure. Definitely. Like, I'm not saying don't do that, but I think it's important to acknowledge that in, in that way. And I wanted to bring up just with the identity piece of it, um, manifestation too, because I've had a few conversations with people recently defending kind of the typical manifestation practices of, you know, wanting certain things for yourself and manifesting it. And well, again, like there's nothing wrong with anything that anyone does, but at the same time, acknowledging sort of what we're talking about, that, that wanting for me, whatever it is that you're wanting and whatever it is that you're hoping for, for me is reinforcing that mentality that you are separate from anything whatsoever. And anything that reinforces that separation will reinforce that ego identity that is the root of your suffering. And that's kind of the, the summary of, of why that manifestation practice of, you know, writing things down, like I'm so grateful that I have a million dollars. It's like, it's not that there's anything wrong with wanting a million dollars necessarily, but anything that reinforces that feeling of separation, even if it's sort of subconsciously and you don't, realize it on the surface, it is reinforcing that thing that causes all of that suffering for you. And it's that idea that you are at all separate. And there even is a me to want anything to begin with. So you don't really, and when you see yourself as everything too, there isn't as much because you feel 
kind of fulfilled in that understanding in itself. So you don't need any external stuff. And I was having a conversation with a girl at the bar. Uh, it wasn't this past weekend, but the weekend before just talking about how anytime you want something, it is sort of rooted in lack to a degree, want something for yourself like that. It is. And she was heavily defending that. And we were a few drinks in and I, and I wasn't, I was holding up strong and she just kept going back to like, Oh, but there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. Like I am happy right now, but I can want more. And it's like, yeah, certainly like you definitely can, but you have to admit, like, if you do want something that badly, you know, what are you lacking right now that makes you feel that? Like, why do why are you so sure that that thing is, is necessary? And a lot of people bring up like, oh, well, I see this all as sort of just like this game and I'm, I'm doing my best to like, you know, flow with it and do all this stuff. And like, there's nothing wrong with wanting to do more and have more. And it's like, yeah, you're not wrong. I'm not saying that you're wrong, but again, it goes back to that reinforcement of identity and wanting for me is doing that. Yeah. And it's, and again, it's, there is nothing wrong except the consequence that you are obviously experiencing, which is why you want it. Right. Like that's the thing. It's like, there's nothing wrong with wanting it. That's true. But there's a cost in that you are sacrificing what you could be experiencing now. And that's the cost. But it's so um, common to play that game. It is the dominant mentality. And so people just learn to not only play it, but commit to it and actually start to think over time that that's all there is. And then their spirituality starts to reflect that as well. But as you were saying, there's nothing wrong with it. So uh, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, day before, ran across this uh, video on TikTok by a, a spiritual creator, and they were talking about soul contracts and how everybody has a soul contract determining everything that's going to happen in their life before it happens, before they get here on the planet and yet you just need to understand what your soul contract is and you'll get everything that you want and so on and so forth and underneath i think it was like the next comment first person responded i regret all of my choices and that was the point that bothered me and so i, I wrote to that person I'm like don't worry all of this is bullshit right like this is all just narrative it's all just ego play that's all this is Right. You don't have to worry. And the owner got or the, the creator got back to me and like, well, I don't think you understand what the ego is. Blah, blah, blah. Like she basically attacked me, which is exactly my point about the danger of these beliefs, because now you have to defend something. But what I thought was interesting was that she went out of her way to correct me and make assumptions about me and my lack of understanding and didn't say a single thing to the guy who was feeling regret because of her snake oil. And that was the thing. And that's the danger. It's not that there's anything wrong with what you're doing. If you want to suffer, by all means, you're welcome to do so. But creating suffering in other people, just so you can continue to play your game and profit from it, there is an issue with that. It's not that it's wrong, but it is happening. And for those with any degree of clarity who see it happening, they're going to say something. And that's where that conflict again comes in. It's like, why can't you just let me believe what I believe? It's like, hey, I have no problem with you believing what you believe. but you're going to get a response. And this is, I made a video about this once upon a time, because this often happens on TikTok, where I will go to a video and the, the video will be like, if you run across this video, it is meant to be, this is the message that you're supposed to hear. The universe is talking to you right now. This is destiny. And they'll say some message and I'll, res I'll respond to the question. 
and then they'll block me, right? And it's like, okay, so if I was meant to hear your story or meant to hear your message, are you not meant to hear my response? Like this goes both ways, right? It's not just, oh, I get to do everything I want, but I don't get any receiving. I don't have, I'm not on the receiving end of that at all, right? And it's like, it's just me pushing out great insights that make me feel awesome. It's like, no, there's humility that comes with those lessons. There's the opportunity to tear down the source of your frustration when somebody says something like, why are you holding on to that? Right. Or you don't need to hold on to that. Or do you realize the damage you just caused to somebody because you're holding on to this? There are opportunities in that conversation for us to grow and learn, but we have to swallow our ego. We have to swallow all of that, that bile that goes with defending our self-image and go, yeah, I am causing destruction. I am doing so unwittingly, probably just because I'm so heavily invested in this idea of myself. Right. And those are the, the lessons that are important, but because we're so used to playing the game, because we, again, we tend to think that a complicated identity is the same as truth. We just fully commit to doing so. And then when people come along and they suffer as a result, we don't even see them suffering. Just like that creator didn't see the person that, that was experiencing regret. She focused on me because she had to defend herself instead of the person that was suddenly judging their life because they were in this position of looking at it from a point where it's like, well, if I had control, why would I do this to myself? All of that self-judgment came in with the soul contract. And then what's worse is that that, that soul contract conversation will get just convoluted as crap. Like if you go, okay, well, hold on. So I signed so I created this soul contract. Why would I be going through this in my life? For example, it could be something brutal. Like maybe your partner is beating you, or maybe your kids have been taken away from you, or maybe you just lost your house. Who knows? And then same creator will come along and I know because I went and watched some of her videos and say, oh, well, that's because of your past life soul contract. That's not your midlife soul contract. That's your past life soul contract. So you got to look at how they're competing with one another to create your, your current experience. And this goes into the same realm of snake oil as Akashic Records. Have you ever run, run across Akashic, uh, Akashic Record Keeping? Okay, so Akashic Records is basically the theory behind it. And, and you're going to like this because there's an ounce of truth is that all of the thoughts, all of the events, all of the possible things that could happen or all the possible perceptions in the universe that could possibly exist, exist within a certain plane of reality and that we can access them through opening ourselves up to it. And they would call those the Akashic records. They will say these are the invisible writings of the Akashic records, that everything within possibility is available to us if you know how to read the records. And so often you'll find people who say like, okay, I'll read your records for you. And they'll, they'll basically give you a little mini prophecy or they'll give you a little mini reading. It's, it's, all, it's a lot like uh, astrology or anything else really. And then if that doesn't happen or if it goes differently and you question them about it, and I know, cause I have, they'll say something like, oh, well, I was reading a record for an alternate timeline that we're not in. So we have to go back and look for the record specifically for this. So basically they're just making shit up. And if it doesn't work out, it's just that I turned the wrong page in this invisible book that nobody can see, right? And, and so it's a game that you can play forever. You can play that game forever and just keep adding more stuff to it to make up for the fact that it's complete and utter bullshit. Right. And that's what happens. And it's just, it becomes a game of, well, if I admit I'm wrong, or if I admit I'm just making shit up, I have to take a hit to my sense of value. And it's like, yeah. And that's your chance to grow. That's your chance. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty wild how they can never be wrong <laughs> with those things. It's like, 
well, that didn't actually happen. Well, I was actually reading a side prophecy that doesn't have anything to do with this timeline. It's like, oh, you could say that about fucking anything. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's crazy with those sorts of things, especially the soul contract stuff, because as I contract stuff, because as I mentioned, uh, I, I was in that for like that two months or so. And as we were talking about before, like it's not a necessary path to a part of the path on this journey. It's like a little side thing that you can get caught up in that like maybe you pull a tiny little speck of pebble out of and, and keep moving. But if you go deep down that, it's the same sort of trap as anything else. And it's fascinating how much control there is in that because they feel this sense of control as saying like, oh, well, I chose all of these things. And it's like, I remember that's those sorts of feelings of thinking like, oh, well, well, that's kind of cool. Cause then anything I face, it was like, it was meant for me to face. And there's sort of like this bigger thing going on. That's all just a bunch of bullshit for the most part, but it, it makes you feel kind of good. And you're like, oh, I chose this like hurdle in my life. Now I, I get to face it. And now it's sort of like reframed a little bit in that way. And I think the other side of it that those people, maybe they don't see as much, but when you see kind of redefine yourself and understand that you're everyone and everything, there isn't the need or the, any desire whatsoever for potentially harmful snake oil. The only reason that you would push that shit is because you feel separate. You feel like you need to sort of do this, this sort of trade-off. And, and that comes back to building yourself up. There's kind of an equal and opposite impact in a way. And by building yourself up through this BS snake oil, there inevitably will be an equal and opposite effect of that snake oil in a negative direction for someone else. And for someone else who maybe doesn't have the upbringing as you and didn't have as much, you know, type of privilege in that way. And I, use that word sparingly, but I think with that, and, and it goes for manifestation too. A lot of those people push those ideals and it's like, our environment has impacts on those things. Like, do you not understand that? Like we are our environment as well. We all are. And there are situations where people's environments aren't conducive to just becoming a millionaire or a billionaire off of selling bullshit to other people, <laughs> like selling the mentality of, of being this guru, doing the thing that you're teaching as your business simultaneously in like this weird sort of effed up way. But yeah, I think when you don't see yourself as everyone, it's a lot easier to push that stuff because you aren't as concerned. You're concerned about yourself in that way because you don't see yourself as anything beyond this human meat suit, which has just as many consequences when you do get questioned and, and it allows for these sorts of triggers because you do have this identity that you've worked so hard to build up, even though it's on a, you know, shaky stool that you're standing on similar to religious belief systems and whatnot. And any sort of belief system or ideology really is, is to a degree shaky. Some are shakier than others, but when you build that up, it's, it's a lot easier to, kick down. All someone has to do is come and kick it. And that same thing that has soothed your fears is 
goes right back to causing it again and every single time. And, and so it's just, it's tough to see. So it makes sense as to why when your intention is to, is as sort of seeing yourself as, as everyone and everything, there isn't any desire for any of that and any of that harm besides not that like kicking those people off their rocky belief systems is harmful, but that's kind of the extent is like when you see these people harming yourself as quote unquote, other people, you kind of feel like you want to come and set things straight because you see the negative impacts that it's having on yourself as everything, not just as this ego identity. Yeah. But it's, it's difficult as we've said before. Um, this message isn't exactly profitable by any means. Like I know from my past, and again, 20 years of trying to assimilate this into my life and into the world that I exist within, that there have been numerous points where, well, I'll give you an example. Uh, about 10 years ago, I decided I was just going to sit down for like two weeks and put some time into basically a course on clarity. That was it. And so I created this whole curriculum and you know, I started marketing it and doing all that. It was about a thousand bucks. And it was about two weeks long. I, I pulled it because after I created it all, it just kept coming back to me. It's like, God damn it. I'm charging myself. I'm charging myself a thousand bucks for insights that are in myself. Like all these people, they know this stuff. And so I couldn't do it. And that's the thing that you keep running across that problem when you are on this path is that it's not profitable. You actually have to fight against all of this, this need for certainty and control and accolades and everything else just to be able to maintain that, that degree of integrity. But on the other hand, from my own experience alone, I know that if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be here doing dualistic unity. I wouldn't have the understanding that I have in terms of how we can actually use what we're doing here to create a profit without taking it out of the pockets of the people that we're trying to help right? Like that's the whole point is that there's been a lifetime of me looking at all of the different angles and recognizing that most of them are self-destructive because they are shortcuts to what I would see as an end result, whether it be money or fame or security or whatever. And, and that destruction is going to pass on to the people who would be paying me. And so after 20 years of, of balancing that back and forth and whatnot, here we are doing dualistic unity where, yeah, we have a couple of workshops that people can buy, but we price them incredibly reasonably. Um, our Patreon is by far our crown jewel offering. I mean, it's $5 a month. You get 15 to 20 hours of extra content. Your ebook is on there for free. My ebook is on there for free. There's updates on what's happening on Beyond Transcendence. We've got a sticker campaign coming out this week. So anybody who wants to get involved with that. So for $5 a month, which isn't going to break anybody, you get to participate in the growth of dualistic unity, of this journey, of this conversation. And we're not promising you anything. We're not promising by doing so you are going to attain enlightenment. We're not promising that your life is miraculously going to change into everything that you want. But what we are saying is that we're going through the same thing you are and that we're happy to talk about it and that we're in this together, right? And we're doing that for as reasonable a price as we can. And if we could do it for free, we would. But since we can't, since the environment that we live within necessitates currency and money and to some degree, our plan is to try and use whatever it is we make from this to basically add to the path that is contradictory 
to the dominant mentality. We want to use the money we make to do extravagant things for other people, or rather for ourselves as other people. We want to be both selfless and selfish. We want to take the resources that we accumulate and help all of the other versions of ourselves. And the more that we manage to accumulate with dualistic unity, the more we want to push out to the rest of the world because it's all us. But again, being patient enough to get to a point where you can build resources that way isn't easy. And what I like about this and what I like about the conversation I've been having with a lot of our followers and our audiences, they're starting their own podcasts, is starting their own channel, is that we're in a position where we can help them to bypass all of this, the stuff that we've been wrestling with simply by them joining the dualistic unity network of, of websites or podcasts or content. And so we can promote them. And so we're building a movement in that we are just moving with no end results in mind. And we're doing so with a, with a very specific focus on the quality of each step that we're on rather than just getting to that end result, which is what always ends up hurting people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think along with it, I mean, <laughs> Yeah, I'm very excited for the day. And the other thing about Patreon is the live group chats every month and two live group chats for tier two as well. Just want to make sure we get that in there. And it's, I'm so looking forward to the day that I can quit my job and just do this shit all the time. And to the point that like, we're bringing in so much that it's like too much for us just to split and we just start doing more with it. Like, all, all the stuff we've talked about. I know we've talked about a bunch of things, but yeah, like throwing up billboards in random cities and just sort of making waves. And yeah, I feel like it'll be fun. Like I've, I've been loving going on these podcasts and just talking about this stuff with other people who, you know, sometimes they sort of get it and sometimes they don't. And I'm sure that'll just continue and I'll just continue having more fun with it in a way too. just kind of like, figuring out little ways I can like make more ripples. And I've been thinking about it more of just how some people, sometimes it's funny because without, without that idea of me, there's nothing to fear. So I could go on and kind of like do something not, not harmfully ridiculous, but just a little bit ridiculous because understanding the virality of things, a lot of times that's what gets people going in that way. But yeah, it, it's, interesting with the way all of our collective mentality is right now with things like I've worked with some companies to help me monetize things in the past. And it's always been a little bit tough for me in the wording and the way that I express things when I'm trying to sell something to someone because they, they always push me to point out how this is going to help them and the specifics of like, if you have been feeling lack and feeling like you don't know, you've been overthinking and worrying about what's next in your life. Like this is the book that you need, like you need to buy this book. And it's just like this fucking weird, uh, like promotional salesy shit. And it's always felt uncomfortable to me. And I didn't really have a good reason as to why, but I kind of see it more clearly now. It's like, I'm selling this to myself, telling myself kind of like, it's not that it's, it's necessarily outwardly harmful in that way, but it, it's like a little bit, it's just like a little bit, just to like 
get people to think that, oh, I, I do need this book because I do feel these things. And, and that reminds me that I feel these ways. And, and, oh, that's great that I've come across this because that'll, you know, fix all of these things. And so with that, the way the collective mentality sort of works as this individualized like definition of self, it all comes back to identification and how you define yourself. And with the collective mentality, defining themselves as separate and individuals, they wouldn't, most people don't understand how you would even think like that in that way, like, like how you wouldn't push something for yourself, like why you wouldn't have that mentality. And I've never, I've always had a tough time doing it and understanding it. So yeah, it's fun just having these conversations and and having people resonate with it because realistically, like people go to therapists and quote unquote gurus or spiritual teachers or whatever, and pay a bunch of money to talk to them about stuff and just to talk and sort of if they're on this journey at any capacity, and that's a thing I think that's great about dual unity is it, it sort of is broadly applicable to anyone on any part of this type of journey. And it's actually applicable. It's not just conceptual masturbation and things like that. It, it's actually real world in this world, not like 5D new earth ap- applicable. It's like, no, like earth applicable, like where we're at right now as everything. So yeah, I, I think with that, like we, there is a lot of, you know, sort of value in these offerings, but it's not pushed as this sort of need for people. It's like, we're just having a conversation. As he just said, like, we're just going through this shit. Like I've been up and down more times than I can count in the last three months. And I'm just talking about it and being open about it. So like, if you're feeling similarly, like, we do these live shows and have discord and have all this stuff and way where places for people to go. And I've just really enjoyed the conversations on, on discord a lot recently too, and just all of the involvement and stuff and just being able to chime in on things. So yeah, it's fun to see. And I know inevitably probably at some point this year, there'll be some serious turning of the tides and we will be able to just continue having more of these conversations. Cause at this point, I just want more free time to have these conversations and then do things involved in this because I'm already spending a lot of my free time doing this stuff. So it's like, if I could, you know, cut less into my very limited free time now and just cut that whole digital advertising shit out of the way and just be able to do this and then kind of like do other things I want to do with, this experience like sounds pretty awesome <laughs> well that's it right it's but it it's it has to come from a place where we are clear about what we're doing and why we're doing it because otherwise it can just it can just fall apart right like that that spiritual uh content creator that was talking about soul contracts and akashic records and everything else there was another video that came immediately after because of course soul contracts and akashic records aren't impressive impressive enough on their own we have to add more to it to make it even more mystical and so we were talking about what was it uh astro astrological natal birth charts and what was interesting is the video started with all of the answers that you need are within you all you need is to know your astrological natal birth chart it's like 
you don't see the contradiction there? <laughs> like, hold on, wait a minute, right? There's something wrong with that entire thing. And, and it's because there's that, that profitability. If I'm not telling you you're lacking something, how can I entice you to buy the thing that I'm saying is going to resolve that lack? And so we're in this fun situation on this conversation where we're not telling people they're lacking anything, right? So there's no lack dollar to market. Right? There's no there's no sense of, of incompletion to target right? In, in order to take advantage of people because we don't want to. And so we, we actually have to sit in this place where it's like, the more people, the better. Regardless if this monetizes or how it monetizes or whatever the hell happens, we just want to get out and have conversations and, and perpetuate this discussion because we're growing from it. And everybody else who's listening to it and participating and asking questions is growing from it. And that is its own reward. That's its own reward, right? But that requires us to actually be in this for the reason of our own growth, of our own moment-to-moment -moment experience with reality. The audience, no offense to the audience, is almost irrelevant to the process of recording this podcast because we're talking about what the experience is of being aware of yourself. And the only way for me to really get across to anybody is to be truly in touch with my experience of my reality, with my experience of myself. And the more I'm involved with my experience, the more I can share what that experience is about. But if I'm trying to avoid my experience, I'm trying to feel better about my experience, I'm trying to define myself by my experience, I'm just going to tell you things that help me do that, right? And that's, that is that danger. And, and so again, it's watch out for the shortcuts. Watch out for the people who will tell you it's all within you but come to me so I can tell you about it, right? I will say right now, if the person listening to this podcast were to hit the stop button and never, ever, ever come back to dualistic unity, they would still have all the answers they need within themselves. They're not gonna get it from us. The only thing they're getting from us is a conversation about the things that are already within themselves, right? They don't need us for it. And that's one, one thing I really hope that we do get across. And it's the reason that as our, our audience builds, as we do make more money, as we do improve uh, the amount of resources that we have, as we're able to create just giant gimmicky things, like giant billboards in the middle of a city saying, you're the awareness of the universe, or just go and pay people's rent randomly to show that sharing can be normalized for no other reason than it's for the good of everyone. Right? It doesn't have to be a money-making gimmick. It doesn't have to be anything else. It can just be, hey, look, we made some extra. We don't need it. We're going to give it to someone else who happens to, happens to also be us. And so it, it really just comes down to patience and priority and what you're looking to get out of it. But most of these spiritual creators, if they were to make several million dollars, they would keep most of that. They would put it towards their own life. I mean, because that's why they're in business. That's why they're marketing the, these stories, these narratives, and these ideas of yourself is to benefit themselves so they can have more of a sense of control and certainty and so on. We've talked about this before, about how many spiritual uh, speakers or, or self-help speakers are worth millions of dollars and don't put any of that into the community that they claim to, to give a shit about, or they don't put, put any of that into helping the rest of mankind outside of maybe investing in a motel where they charge people $3,000 for a weekend so they can come and hang out with you know, the spiritual guru, right? And so it's a very different path. And, and the path that we're on, the path that the audience is on with us is exciting because again, it, it is revolutionary in its intent to not be revolutionary, to just be empathetic, 
That's it. We want to normalize sharing. And I think in normalizing selflessness or selfishness that goes full circle, so everybody's you, however you'd like to look at it, we can set a new priority for how business can be done on this planet. In fact, and how we should treat one another. But we have to be an example in order for other people to see, again, that it's an option. Yeah, and I think the communication and maybe the difference really does come down to that choice versus versus need and lack. Like we're having this conversation. You're welcome to listen and join if you choose, but you don't need to and you don't lack anything. And, and we're not saying that you do. It really just comes down to your voluntary decision to be involved in this process but yeah we started out having this conversation just because we're like oh that was that was a fun conversation that first conversation we had that was fun like let's let's start a podcast and just have more of these conversations and even calling it a podcast is like a whole other thing it's just the conversation like that we happen to record and post on stuff so it's not even like and and i i keep going back to that sort of archer analogy of of the difference between shoot like shooting the arrow and having 100% of your attention on the shooting of the arrow versus having half of it on hitting the target and half on the shooting of the arrow like that. Like a lot of times when people create podcasts and do things, and it's not to say, I'm not saying that we're like, we're totally naive to the building of a community or audience or anything like that. But so many times people do it with the intent of making a shitload of money or doing all of these things for, for me or making myself famous. And I wanted to ask this again, and I know we've talked about this before, but when you bring up the spiritual gurus and all of them that are so wealthy, and again, nothing wrong with being wealthy at all. We're not saying that. We're not saying that they're bad people in any way, but it just seems like they don't like, how can they fully see themselves as everyone while simultaneously, like not mixing in some fun kind of like jarring stuff here and there. And it's not even to say to give away half their money. I'm not even saying that I'm just saying like, do a couple retreats that are, that are free or something like that. Like, why not just toss in some fun stuff like that, where, that people would derive a lot of value from, but y- you never, you never ever see crazy things like that. Like, I, I feel like they, there's almost no way that they fully, 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 a hundred percent don't see themselves as separate. If they're like not really doing any of that. Not that that's an indication, but I just have a tough time wrapping my head around the thought that they, without a shadow of a doubt, you know, all the things that they teach about non-duality, especially non-duality teachers. And a lot of them are good about that. Like, I feel like Alan Watts, Krishnamurti, they, they did follow those sorts of things or ideals. I don't, I don't like saying ideals, but that sort of idea but a lot of them that you see today, they, they don't, and they do live pretty lavish lives without really doing any of that ripple making fun, exciting stuff that they could be doing with their money. Yeah. Well, and as you 
have experienced in terms of like writing content or, or, or bringing content to a publisher or, or to a company to produce that content. And they will look at it and go, we would really like you to tell people they're lacking something so we can sell this for you. Right. And, and so it's very difficult and it's often used as an excuse. And I know I've run across this excuse many times. It's like, well, why don't you do that for free? If you know, everybody's you, why don't, why don't you, you know, um, host this workshop out in a public park? If you know, everybody's for you, that kind of thing. And it's like, well, you got to survive in the world. You got, you got to live within the world the way it is. And it's like, yeah, okay. That, that means paying your rent and eating. That doesn't mean buying a million dollar mansion, right? Like that there's, you've taken surviving in the world as it is, and you've used that to justify participating in the world as it is, instead of being part of that world changing, right? And, and so it's very easy to, to kind of just justify as, you know, well, it's just the way things are. You know, that's the world, you gotta just kind of accept it. And, and I've heard that so many times in my life and it's not easy to disregard that, especially when suddenly you have everything that everybody else wants. Right. Like that's, that's the problem is that you can say, Oh, when I'm rich, I'm going to give it all away. And then when you're sitting on a pile of cash, it's an entirely different story. It's very much like that song I sent you by tenacious D city hall. Right. And so basically tenacious D they, they are responsible for um, creating a revolution. Everybody overthrows the government at the end of it. They're like, you know, who's going to lead us? Well, I guess we'll do it. Right. And so they're leading. And as they're doing so, they lay, they lay down these decrees. And the first one is to legalize marijuana. The second one is, the one is to end uh, pollution. And then the third decree is no more rich or poor people. Everybody's going to be, yeah, hold on. I got to think about that one. Right. And it's because they're now at the top of the heap. Right. And so the song goes on to the fact where they actually betray one another and poison each other to be the soul, the soul king. It's a fantastic song. It's called City Hall. Anybody listening to, uh, listening to this should go and check it out. But that's, that's very much the point is that once you're at the top or once you're at this point where everybody's looking at you, you know, same with you. I mean, look at uh, TikTok. Once you started getting famous, that's hard to disregard. It's very difficult to disregard people going, oh, you're a big deal. You kind of be like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. And the only real way, in my opinion, or, or in my experience, to diffuse that, because you can try for false modesty, but that's, that's difficult, because you're allowed to feel good about yourself, and you're allowed to celebrate your little victories, for sure. But it's the recognition that you are no more valuable now than you were before. Right? That's what takes all of the, the, the temptation out of it. And people would be like, oh, you're awesome. Yep. And I always was, even before you knew me or anything about me, even when I was too scared to come out and talk to you, I was still awesome. Right. And so it diffuses that, that egotistical draw because you're not, you're not lacking anything. You're just experiencing yourself unfold. Right. And so that, that's very much the difference, but it is very difficult to maintain that through your life. Like I said, it's been 20 years of me going back and forth between, you know, working a job I didn't like, and then trying to figure out how I can use all this stuff I've learned about myself to make a profit to get out of the job I didn't like. And, and it wasn't until I started going, ah, why, do, why do I have to choose between one and the other? Maybe I can do the job that I don't like and learn to like it. At the same time, I learn more about myself and learn to share it for free. And that's what's led us full circle back to here. So again, it's just continuing down the path with integrity and clarity on what it is you want to do or who it is you want to be. 
But that means ignoring the shortcuts, ignoring, you know, the, the people pandering to you or offering you, you know, wealth and riches and power and all of that. Because if you want to see what it is you're capable of creating, you almost have to decide to do it on your own. And then if you're lucky, you'll meet other people like I have in, in terms of Andrew, who's also doing it on his own. And that's how we can all work together individually, collectively. It's like my grandfather used to say about hanging up with my grandmother. We're hanging out alone together. I'm doing my own thing. You're doing your own thing. And in that we are whole and complete. Yeah, it, it is. I, I post that video I posted. Uh, I think it was yesterday. It was along those lines. And it's something we've talked about before. And I know you've talked about it in within your own relationships, just that idea of, of needing someone else. And, and that sense of, of it comes back to a sense of lack and a sense of expectation of, of when you have this sort of, and even when you act in a certain way that where you are hoping that people like you and, and because you are worried about what people think of you, you are subconsciously acting in a way where you are acting in a specific way, hoping that people are going to like you in return. And I don't think people fully think about that very much. And I think that is why people are more attracted, whether it's physical attraction or friendship attraction or anything to people who don't need them around. Like they don't. And I said it more bluntly in the video, like, don't give a fuck if you stay around or not. Like that is more attractive because, and people take it in different directions given their current mentality or perspective or anything like that. But it, it doesn't mean that you can't think about others and be selfless in that way. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. And a lot of, some people commented like, well, sometimes people are just nice because they do care about other people. And like, we've already kind of delved into that today, but it, it really comes down to that expectation. And if you care whether someone stays around, you will act in a certain way. And usually it manifests because you feel a sense of lack, like you need them to stay around. And people will argue that you could do both, that you can feel whole and complete and want someone to stick around. And again, I'm not saying that it's bad to want someone to stick around. Like if you're, if you're in a relationship and say you're even married and not many people are going to be like, yeah, I don't give a shit if my spouse leaves. But at the same time, like, that is kind of the level of completeness in yourself, or it is a sense of, of need, which manifests in a plethora of different ways that are potentially detrimental to the relationship. And I think that's why we see so many like divorce rates are ridiculously high and why we see so many turbulent relationships going on and people who just stay together, even though they're fucking miserable. It's, it's incredible. So that sense of need driven by a sense of expectation and a sense of, of lack. And when you feel like you want someone or need someone to stick around and, and you care about their perception of you, you are hoping that they like you in return. It, it, it's like transactional. Whereas if you don't care whether they like you or not, there's no transaction. It is a complete person hanging out with a complete person. They are hanging out alone together in that way that Ray's grandfather so eloquently said so many years ago, I'm sure. But yeah, it's, it's fascinating when you really delve into 
that idea of caring about what people think of you, like how much lack and how much expectation there is rooted in that idea. It's, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, it is. And it's, there's a real quick test that you can ask yourself if you're ever wondering, you know, how committed you are to, to being liked or how committed you are to avoiding uncertainty or how committed you are to, you know, just avoiding the, un, the unknown. If it's a relationship, just ask yourself what you would do if they would leave. Right. And all of a sudden, all of your fears just pop right up. Right. They're just all there because you're avoiding that question. Right. What if they left? And so if you have that fear, that's what you have to have to address. And I've talked to a lot of people who say the same thing. It's like, well, I, I, I recognize that being whole and complete in myself is important, but I still want a partner. It's like, okay. That's okay. Unless that want is creating suffering for you. Cause then that's not want that's need. Right. And so you can recognize the difference, right? Like when I met my wife, I didn't need a partner. I didn't even want a partner. I just wasn't closed to having a partner. If it presented itself, then fine. And even then it was not committing to anything. Let's just see how this progresses. That's why I often joke that, you know, she just didn't leave for 17 years. It's pretty much how we ended up together, right? It's not that anybody tried to keep anybody there. It's just that we've enjoyed being with each other for that long, right? So it's a very different kind of relationship, but I will often check myself and go, what if she left? What if this didn't work? What if she decided she wanted a different path that was different for her and what was in her best interest? Would I try and keep her around? Would I try and make her like me or continue to, to stay with me? What would I do? And I have to come just back to, no, I, I would still be myself. Yeah, it would hurt. Yeah, I would miss her for a little bit, but I would adapt. I would learn, right? And this is something I used to do with my coaching clients who were dealing with huge amounts of anxiety and trying to cope with this anxiety. And I would sit them down and say, okay, Let's imagine everything you're afraid of happening. What? I don't want to do that. Let's just do it. Let's just imagine everything you're afraid of happening. And so they would. And oh, I'd lose my house. I'd lose my car. My wife would leave me. My friends wouldn't like me. It's like, okay, and then what? When you're just going to curl up and die? Or are you going to get up and try and make the most of whatever comes next? Well, I'll get up and try and make the most of whatever. Exactly. That's all you need to know. Anxiety gone. Right? And that, that was the easiest way for me to deal with people who are dealing with, with extreme amounts of anxiety is to remind them all of the stuff you're afraid of is strictly because you don't have faith in yourself, right? You just haven't brought it back to the point where it's like, right, I'd make it work regardless. I may not like it, but I would still make it work in, in, in the same way that I have throughout my entire life, right? So a, a great way to get a feel for exactly what you're avoiding or, or get a, a feel for exactly how much you're holding on to something is to remind yourself that you could lose it and then ask yourself what you would do. Right. And you'll feel all of those emotions. Like it's really happening. Cause again, your brain doesn't really know the difference between, you know, your imagination or what's happening day to day. If you're willing to focus on it and actually let that scenario play out, you'll feel all kinds of emotions that will help you grow as a person and recognize where you are still needy. So that's, that's something I definitely recommend. Yeah, it's it's funny you bring that last part up because it reminds me of the idea of gratitude and the practice of gratitude. And I don't think people take gratitude that extra step in that way that you just sort of suggested where everyone's, you know, grateful for everything they have, 
they don't take it a step further and think, what would I do if I didn't have that? And it kind of will bring you, you go through that process, it'll bring you full circle to realizing that you don't need gratitude because everything that you're grateful for, if you go through one by one by one by one, so you list out 10 things and you pick them apart and you're like, what would you do if you didn't have this? What would you do if you didn't have this? What would you do if you didn't have this? And then all of a sudden it's like, I would, you know, I would manage, I would be okay. I would manage, I'd be okay. And it's like, you go through and all of a sudden you're right back and you don't have anything and you're still okay. So why do you have to feel grateful and instill this feeling of, of sort of subconscious fear in a way by being grateful for it, but not taking it that extra step and thinking about what you would do if you didn't have it. So it, it's like, it takes you part of the way there, but not the full way there. And yeah, it's, it's interesting because that's something. And even the guy actually, uh, Josh, who I had on my personal podcast, he's CEO of this company, Kiwi. Um, they're like a CBG cigarette company. We actually talked about gratitude and I, I don't come across many people who have that mentality of understanding that gratitude, like, isn't the answer and all be all answer to everything, but he very clearly understood it. And he was like, well, yeah, like. I, I sort of went down that path, but I realized, you know, I could lose all those things too. And then I would just be left sort of in the same position that I started with. And it sort of instills that feeling of fear. And I'm like, damn, yeah, that's, that's good. I, I only recently understood that whole concept, but yeah, I'm glad you, you know, that resonates with you because it's when you take it, that extra step that is a little bit scarier to, to face in that way, it, it gets uncomfortable at first, but if you take it, it kind of brings you right back to where you started. So, yeah. Yeah. Strength, right? Like that's, that's the thing is that if you're going to, if you're going to gain strength, you have to go through hardship. That's it. Like discomfort and strength go hand in hand. If you're going to face your discomfort, you're going to gain something from it. Right. But there is this, um, overarching need within spirituality and motivation and a lot of other things where it's like, you know, we always have to feel good. We always have to feel good. You know, it's like, um, Bashar, the channeler, another snake oil salesman. Um, he'll often say, you know, you should be following your excitement at all times. I see nothing but danger in that, right? Because while it's true, feeling enthusiastic about what you're doing in the moment is something you should practice and encourage and open yourself up to you're not always going to feel that way especially when you're challenging your old programming especially when you're challenging all of your old mechanisms for security and control you're not going to feel excited about tearing down your ego right and, and that's that's the thing that that's very dangerous in this idea that you know the spiritual path the awakening path is all about love and light and feeling good it's really not it, it really is about being real and being real has nothing to do with good or bad. It's a spectrum. There's a lot in there, right? It's a, you can describe it in any way you want, but it's a very intense feeling to be real, to be grounded, however you want to look at it, right? But you can't sell that. You can't sell, you know, just be real. You may not feel good all the time, but don't worry, just keep going. It's like, why would I buy a book that says that? I just want to buy a book that tells me tomorrow is going to be better than today if I want it bad enough, right? And so that's that's what you get. But it's always the same um, 
snake oil. It really is. And I know people will say, well, that's a judgment. And it's not meant to be a judgment. I don't feel better than the people who are selling snake oil. That's still me selling snake oil. It's just a me that has settled for a lesser ripple, right? Basically, I just want to keep focusing on myself in that incarnation. And as a result, the ripple I'm creating as that person has a different impact. Whereas in, in Ray's existence, I don't want to do that. I don't want to sell out. I don't want to take that shortcut. I don't want to just market something that's going to benefit me, but ultimately hurt somebody in the long run. Right. And so that's why it's taken me so long to get to dualistic unity, but it really just comes down to honesty and humility and getting out of your own way over and over and over and over again. And you can always tell when somebody has stopped that in that they're just marketing a product now, right? Like that's the problem with a lot of these speakers is that if you look at them when they're younger, there's that enthusiasm, there's that fire, right? Like they're telling you things that they are coming up with that they're, they're experiencing and seeing for themselves. And then they start getting into their later 30s, their later 40s, and they start thinking about their retirement and the fact that they're going to die. And they start trying to get that sense of control again. All of a sudden, it becomes a marketable product. Or worse, you have an agency that gets their, their claws into them and tells them how to market their product. And suddenly, it becomes a more enticing product to sell and millions become available to you, or at least perceptually available to you. And that can change your entire path, right? But it really just comes down to if you recognize you're whole and complete, how much do you need? And if you, if you don't need anything, why are you hoarding? Right? There's no point to it. This is a very much why I, I enjoy um, the indigenous culture in terms of the wealthiest person in the tribe, whenever they had a lot of stuff, would share it with the rest of the tribe. You know, like the wealthiest person who, who had the most uh, bounty in the season would have a giant feast and share it with the rest of the village. Right. It wasn't like they hoarded it for themselves and say, if you want some, you got to do my bidding. Like it, they, there was none of that. And that's very much the mentality that we're trying to, to perpetuate here on this conversation is that once we're able to leave our, our job and do this full time, it just becomes reciprocity embodied. Like it just begins like even right now, for example, I work a full a full time job. You work a full time job. We come in in our free time for maybe five days a week sometimes. And we do this. And we do it because we love doing it. And we, we do it because we enjoy talking to people as they're changing and as they're going through stuff in their own life. We love hearing those stories, right? So it's all reciprocity. We're not really doing this to get anything out of it at the moment. But as it builds and things start to arise as a result of this, I'm very excited about being able to show that sharing is a, le a legitimate business model. That it is, in fact, something where as we all benefit, as the Dow gets rolling, as the NFT goes, as we start putting up billboards and paying rent and doing all kinds of weird gimmicky stuff just to make people pay attention that there is an option, right? We're going to see all of that unfold, but it's not because we're doing it to benefit ourselves. We're doing it to benefit everybody that results in doing it. So I find that very exciting. Yeah, me too. And I think it goes back to kind of similar to what we were talking about before with, you know, the school system and religion and belief systems, people just don't see that, like not following that as any sort of option. And they don't see it. They don't see anyone doing it. Even the people who are, you know, preaching this kind of stuff who have sort of quote unquote made it and have a shitload of money, like they don't see that them doing it either. And 
comes back to being that change you want to see. Like if those people really wanted to see that change, but maybe they don't have faith in the system enough or, or faith in themselves enough to think that they can actually make a big enough ripple to change anything about it, or they just aren't crazy enough to try <laughs> who knows, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's cool. And I'm excited to just keep this ball rolling and eventually being able to, you know, do this more and more often because we already do it pretty fucking often given all of our other responsibilities, but yeah, some, something else um, we're talking about before, but kind of along the lines of identification. And I was thinking about this today is, is people will sometimes ask me about, you know, self-love and how to love themselves more. And I was thinking about that today and just how clear, sort of clear to, to me, at least that, that self-love and self-hate are much more closely tied than people think. But going back to that collective mentality and thoughts about how things are, people don't see that there's a way to live beyond. They, they see self-love as being sort of another peak on this societal type thing, but self-love and self-hate kind of go hand in hand. They're like two sides of the same coin. You flip that coin, what's it going to land on? I don't know. Any given day could land on either side, just given your circumstances and whatnot. So it's not that you have to love yourself as this individual ego meat suit sort of thing. Like you can understand that you can go beyond your sense of self and similar to gratitude and optimism, self-love relies on thought to be had. You can't, you're not experiencing self-love here and now. You're just experiencing what is here and now. Self-love happens conceptually. It happens in your mind just the same way as self-hate only happens in your mind. So when you rely on things like that, like self-love to feel better about yourself, you're utilizing the same process that is very closely tied and similar to self-hate in that way. You're using the sort of same mechanisms of doing it that are so closely interrelated any given moment, you could flip flop back and forth. And oftentimes people do until they realize that they don't need to rely on that self sense of self sense of identity to feel better because it's all rooted in and is that source of pain that you've been experiencing. And, but once you're able to see that it becomes more clear and then you don't fall into those sort of traps as often of self-love to, to soothe those fears and worries because you see that it's the same exact mentality and processes that lead you to self-hate in that way. Yeah. You're still at the core of it, right? You're still thinking about yourself regardless. And it's funny, my wife and I talk about this often because again, she's finishing her master's of counseling. And, and of course, that is entirely about the self, right? Like they go through exercises to try and reinforce your sense of self or to try and analyze your sense of self. She was asking me a, um, an exercise yesterday about who are three people who have strengths that you admire and wish you had. And my brain just went, I don't think that way. She's like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, you just asked me to think about everybody else who's still me. So the strengths are in me. Why would I be looking at them? And it just creates a comparison immediately that creates a, a sense of lack. Now I'm trying to be my idea of this person who I don't even know. 
I just have an idea of them. Of course, the conversation, she's like, why can't you just talk like a normal person? Right. And it's like, because that's not, that's not how I see things. But as a result of me not seeing that things that way, I don't experience lack. I don't look at somebody who is financially successful and go, oh, I'm not. I don't look at, you know, Einstein and go, what a brilliant dude. I go, wow, we're capable of that. Right. There's a very different response from me in terms of how I see the world. And, and so it's, it's working within that while the world kind of catches up. And, and what I find interesting, and I wanted to bring this up because it came up in Discord this morning um, regarding the concept of the Great Awakening, which is another bit of spiritual snake oil that we often see uh, online and say, we're all part of a Great Awakening, the ascension process. And, and that's, that's lovely. It's a, it's a really interesting way of looking at it because you can kind of see um, the stops and starts throughout our history about how we have been trying to, um, or, or rather how we've almost accomplished a sense of clarity or, or that we're in that direction, but it's not a guarantee by any means. It's not like the universe is descending from on high to govern us and guide us towards some end point. The fact is, is that if there is going to be a great awakening, it's yours. Yours is the great awakening. And then how much you commit to that, how much you stick with that, how much you, you devote your life to your own sense of connection to your reality. That's the ripple that causes it to spread, but you can't spread it for the world. And you certainly can't spread it while you think the world is doing it for you. Right. And so that's the whole problem with this idea of a great awakening is that, yeah, there's a great awakening as you wake up. Right? And I have the same responsibility. And so does Andrew and everybody else. And as we have that responsibility, that's when we'll see the great awakening coming to be. But it's not because it's predestined or prophesied or, or anything else. It's, it's the fact that it's an option. It's an option that we can make happen if we're just willing to commit to avoiding or not even avoiding, but seeing through our illusions, seeing through our pain. The world will become a more real place, a more grounded place if we can just stop living within our collective psychosis. Yeah, I think that idea too of the Great Awakening is, I see it as still sort of rooted in that egoic sense of separation, like, oh, we are all awakening, but not all of us, only the ones you know, valuable enough to ascend into 5D and then this new earth that we have created. And then, you know, some of us have come from this other planet and we are, we are very, very special beings placed on here to help lead this ascension into the fifth dimension and this great awakening that we are, we are leading as <laughs> I can keep going, but I think people get the point. It's like, it's still this sort of, uh, just like egoic masturbation in a way that's like, makes you feel better. It's like, Oh, I, I, me as Andrew, me as this individual is a part of something. And that is how I feel better and more complete about myself. Not that I am everything that's happening. So as I awaken in whatever, however you want to describe that, everything is awakening. It's, it's like having a part of that and having not control, but influence and, and some impact on things as you, as the whole, 
up and simultaneously a part of the whole in that way awaken it's like you're creating ripples that are helping sort of this quote unquote great awake awakening but it's happening as you it's like happening through you expressed out as opposed to happening outside of you coming into you in that way almost like it still stems from you or me or you know it's it's not this this grand thing that's that's happening that's that's just this big wave that's just gonna rush over all of us no it's coming from us similar to the way that you know we came from the earth in that way it's not happening to us we are happening as it sort of or, or as it all and as we happen it happens it's fun trying to describe it in terms of there no be- not being any division, right? So you're trying to communicate, <laughs> like, how, how does that work, right? But what's interesting is that it's always the two perspectives, right? Like, we look at the world and we see people who have been doing the work to change, and we see them talking to people and we go, oh, there's a wave happening, right? But that person's doing the work in themselves, but they may have been inspired, by other people doing the work within themselves. So it's not that there's a wave happening so much as at some point, one person took the responsibility among themselves and created a ripple, right? And so other people who are doing that and able to recognize the ripples, see the ripples and they go, oh, there must be a wave. It's like, "Mm, only if you continue, right? Only if you be the next part of it, right? Like that's this, just like a wave when you go to a stadium, right? If one person stands up and nobody else joins them, that's no wave. It just stops. It's just one person with their hands up and it looks really awkward. Right. And so that's, that's kind of where we're at. It's either it's going to be individually and we all come together. And, and as we said, and I think the last episode, it's like, you know, we're, we're, we're connecting kind of like mycelium, right. From one point to another online. And then as those points of connections start to build and grow, they're connecting to other people around them. And so we're filling in the cracks. The organism is starting to fill in, you know, the, the environment as it were kind of like uh, the slime mold we talked about a little while ago, right? It's like, it just grows until it, it covers the, the entire area because that's what it does. That's, that's growth is in a nutshell. And like we were talking about in terms of that paper, uh, Neurogenetics and Human Consciousness by J.K. Grandy in terms of DNA awareness, right? We are in fact, just, just like the mold, we're awareness in action, right? And so it's just a matter of whether or not our awareness, our collective awareness or individual awareness, however you'd like to look at it, awareness as a whole, um, it really depends what, which side of it is dominant. Just like in an, in, in a, in an individual, if that person habits are, are, are overshadowing their clarity and then they're gonna go in a certain direction, but as their mind starts to change, as they experience discomfort and they start to learn about themselves, the clarity starts to have that dominant hold, just like we were saying about the attractor fields at the beginning of this episode, right? And so it's, it's interesting because as much as, it, as there is no collective great awakening, as you awaken, the collective great awakening almost becomes more obvious, but it's not collective because there's no division. It's all you. It's, yeah, it's fun to trying to explain how it's like something happening, but that something is, is nothing. And it's like, you are doing things, but sort of allowing things to happen. And it's like, you are doing things as this sort of redefined self that we've mentioned a few times as not this individual human meat suit, but you are as 
everything, but you still have an impact on that thing and, and an influence on that thing here and now. So it's like, as much as we're doing something to not even get somewhere, but to be a part of this happening right now, it's, it's at the same time, not doing as many things and not like this. It's not this, I, I said grit before, but it's almost like it's not this gritty sort of thing that we're clawing at. Like conceptually, we could kind of think about it like that in a way, because there's just such a massive machine of a society that has been rooted in this sort of collectively divisive mentality for so long. But it, it's more so just being that leaf on the stream and just allowing life to, to flow through you as it right now. And there isn't this sense of, of self separate that has to do something like you almost don't have to do anything, but just allow things to happen. So it's, it's so uh, it's fun. Cause I do enjoy doing our best to express these things, but it's like, yeah, but like it is that, but it's, but it's not. And it, it's, it is black and white, but it's, but it's definitely not black and white at the same time. And we always have to uh, just follow up any statement with like, it's that, but it's, but it's also not that just so we're clear, like, don't get too caught up in that. Cause it's also definitely not that either. So, uh, but we do our best. <laughs> right. Participate, but surrender. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's difficult, but it is, it's that balance of, of surrendering your idea of yourself while you participate. And, and it's, it's tricky. It's, it's very much like, you know, walking on a tightrope. The more you think about it, the harder it is. You have to actually just develop a sense of balance and have faith in yourself and walk forward. And that, that's very much why I love this conversation because we are not doing anything to try and save the world. The conversation in itself offers options for other people that may change the world, right? But we don't have any control. We don't want any control. We're not trying to get anywhere because if we were, this wouldn't work in the same way. It would become a need. It would become, you know, we got to change the world. We got to save everybody. So we know, no, 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 we're eternal. Now there's, there's nothing really to fear at the end of the day. I mean, admittedly, we could nuke the whole planet. There are still infinite incarnations of ourselves in infinite different time uh, timelines and, and situations that will continue to exist forever. So, I mean, at the end of the day, none of that is really that dire except to our experience here now, right? And so that, that's really it. We're not trying to change anything so much as just trying to rip away the, the distortion and the toxicity that is stopping us from experiencing what we really are. It's just that we got really caught up in this game of make-believe. And we've forgotten that it's just a game of make-believe. And so now we're playing that game, hurting one another. You know, like um, police officers are a perfect example. You know, they play a role. They are not police officers. They're human beings, right? They've, they're just playing a role. But as soon as they start to define themselves as police officers, as soon as they start to think of themselves as, you know, the saviors or the governors of mankind or, or anything like that, it changes how they interact with people. It stops their ability to empathize. Right? And it creates a different impact on the world around them. And so what we're doing is we're trying to tear away the distortion on top of the role to remind ourselves that the role is not what we are. It's just the function that we're serving right now. And if we take it too seriously, we start to lose sight of one another. And then the function becomes cancer instead. Right. And that's 
all this is about. And that, that's what I enjoy about the conversation is that any great awakening that happens is going to be you know, strictly as a result of us enjoying ourselves, which is what it should be. That's what we're trying to get to in general in our day-to-day -day life. It's the one thing our system lacks more than anything, genuine enjoyment, not just distraction, not just you know comparison or value by comparison or judgment or anything like that. There's lots of that. You can judge anybody you want and feel better very temporarily, but to, to feel fulfilled is something that the system doesn't understand because it's built on our mentality that didn't understand it at the time. Yeah, it's funny along those lines, how often I get questioned with my content. It's like the first question people ask is how much money are you making from it? Like, are you monetizing? Like, are you making a bunch? Like you have a lot of followers now, like how much money do you make from it? It's like, you ever think that maybe I just like doing it? <laughs> Did that ever cross your mind? <laughs> or is that too novel a concept to possibly fathom that someone's just doing something because they enjoy doing it without any capitalistic intention behind it but it's it, it's happening slowly but surely but also all the time right now outside of time <laughs> so yeah it's a uh, it's funny and and i'm glad that we have all of this going on because it helps me just grapple with all of these things a little bit more clearly because i don't i God knows where, where I'd be without, I'm sure I'd be fine, but without just being able to have this conversation every week, just to communicate these things, I don't know, it would be an interesting experience. So I'm, I'm glad we're glad we're having them. That's for sure. Interesting is one way to put them. I went that way. <laughs> Interesting was definitely a, the word that I chose when I was trying not to be negative uh, about the, the journey. It's like, this is interesting. And it's funny, my wife hates that word. It's my like go-to word when I'm not willing to have an opinion about something. That's interesting. Like, that doesn't tell me anything. Like, yeah, I get that. That's okay, because it helps me. You know, it's kind of like, you know, how are you, how are you doing today? It's like I'm doing. Everything else is an irrelevant opinion. That's pretty much it. And that's when that's how you know I'm having a day where it's challenging, right? It's just like I'm not even trying to have an opinion on this. I'm just going through it. Then I'll have an opinion later. Um, I just wanted to say quickly to everybody who is listening to this, of course, we are so grateful for you to be here and join us in this conversation. As Andrew was saying, like the conversation is the reward in itself. The fact that it's growing so quickly, the fact that it is in fact gaining more and more participation and a larger and larger audience is, is amazing because we certainly didn't start it with that in mind. We, we figured it might do well, it may not, but it didn't really matter. And, and again, after 20 years of trying to have this conversation in the world and, and being you know, slapped down, almost uh, literally in some cases, it's very encouraging to see so many people getting involved for their own reasons, right? Despite the fact that we're not offering them a silver bullet, despite the fact that we're not offering them a, a quick scapegoat or, or a way to just you know, uh, surrender to their bliss, as it were, right? Like we're actually offering them things that they can apply to their own life. And we're talking to them in, in a way that's going to hopefully give them something applicable that they can use. So the fact that they're here having this conversation with us, the fact that they're still listening to us, and, and I think we're what, 18, 19 episodes in, 
easily. Um, and this conversation continues to evolve as a result of all of the questions that people ask us and all the participation and whatnot. It's, it's just amazing. And so I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who continues to listen to us, who continues to participate, who has joined us on Patreon and on Discord. I do want to remind you, um, this Wednesday, we have a live group supporters only chat on Patreon that you can join. It goes from 6 to uh, 7.30 or 8 o'clock on Wednesday. And then, of course, next Wednesday. So the First, third, and fourth Wednesday of the month, we will be doing Patreon-only uh, exclusive live groups. And then the first Wednesday of the month, we, we will also be doing a public live group that you can participate on. All you have to do is go to dualisticunity.com to register for the free public group, or go to patreon.com slash dualisticunity to join us for the other three uh, supporters-only live chats, where you can find out about all of the interesting things that we're up to. Yeah, very excited for all of those. I, I really enjoy the the group chats. I'm I'm excited as this grows to, to be able to do those more and more often. Um, will be a lot of fun. So yeah, I mean, if you've made it this far, certainly join us for for those group chats, whether it is on Patreon or just some of the free live group chats, because we enjoy involvement. And it is a lot of fun, as much as much fun as we have just chatting here, getting questions and and ideas to bounce things off of and sort of real world applicable situations that people are going through, people being us, being me <laughs> all the time, uh, is fun to be a part of and just be able to have some semblance of impact, not to save anyone or anything, but to provide them with maybe a little little bit of insight that they can chew on and, and take with them about their day to just get them through and about whatever they're, whatever is happening. So yeah, if, if you have made it this far and do enjoy these episodes, certainly join us on those and, and check out dualskeunity.com. There's a lot of, a lot of good shit on there. <laughs> And there will continue to be more and more good shit because, and I want to say this very clearly to everybody that as we continue to grow, we're going to continue to put more and more energy and ideas behind spreading this and not just, you know, the, the revenue that, that we pull in through gimmicks and helping people with the rent or doing anything like that as, as it grows to that point, but also just in general, like getting more people involved. Uh, Andrew has been out there talking to people on, on podcasts and having interviews and just generally spreading the good word in, in like, there are options. And that's been the entire crux of his conversation. So that's a huge part. But then we've got the sticker campaign that's coming out later this week. Um, anybody who doesn't know what that is, we actually have some stickers being printed with a quote from Andrew and a quote from myself. And we're going to be putting those up in high traffic areas. So if you are in a city and you have a, a, an area in mind and you would like a copy of those stickers, definitely join us on Patreon where we can mail you a few and you can put them up in your city and help us spread the word as it were. Um, we are coming up to the two hour mark here. So we're going to wrap this episode up. We're going to have a little bit of a conversation after the fact. And of course you can access all of those behind the scenes uh, videos on our Patreon uh, website as well. And I, I, again, I want to reiterate that we are trying to make everything as cheap and accessible as possible, because if we could, we wouldn't charge at all. But if we don't, it's going to be very hard for us to pay for a giant billboard in, say, the middle of New York. And yeah, and quite frankly, for, for us to not have to spend so much fucking time every day doing shit we don't like and not having this conversation, <laughs> I don't want to keep doing that. <laughs> so yeah, as you're a part of that, it will allow us to continue having more 
of these conversations, which I'm excited to keep having. And we are so, so deeply grateful just, just for the chance to keep having this conversation. So thank you, everyone. And of course, we're going to wrap up here. We will see you next uh, next week for episode six. And if you can join us for the live groups, definitely do so. And if not, join us on Discord. Bye, everyone.